Hello, all you happy people. This is Michael Lucas, the director, writer, and producer of Blood Orgy of the Leather Girls and uh, the brother of the non-existent Meredith Lucas. And this is Henry S. Rosenthal, executive producer of the film and uh, a uh, much-killed uh, collection of characters throughout the film. And this is Sven Eric Geddes. I play Lenny Rice, the teen tycoon of smut, and I did a lot of things behind the camera as well. This behind is, is right. <laughs> <laughs> this is uh, Kai Wadaroth. Uh, I had nothing to do with this movie. But... Turn his microphone off. <laughs> but, Kai, you did... Watch it many times. Okay. I was going to say that there was a girl who gave you a rock on your first date. <laughs> um, but here's a Russ Meyer-inspired montage of scenes with some portentous narration. The fire that happened on the day we were shooting and we were able to get over there in time to get some of the wreckage, the rubble. It may be enlightening to peruse the annals of crime for the details of a far from un... And there's the first appearance of Lenny Rice. <laughs> you are about to witness a string of events that culminated... Uh, so when you popped in this disc, you probably saw a message saying that uh, the views and opinions expressed by us were not held by SOV. And I just want to explain that... Um, and I've been proud to... I believe that... Unlike SOV. <laughs> I am against... Unlike SOV, I won't even explain their opinions on but let's just leave it at I'm against it. I, I believe you also like puppies and kittens. <laughs> Another controversial <laughs> viewpoint. I hate life. I hate school. Do you, do you like cats or dogs or both or not, neither? Well, I think we're off to a good start because what I was really hoping to do here was capture the same sort of lightning in a bottle of, <laughs> of John Milius and Arnold Schwarzenegger's commentary on Conan the Barbarian. Meanwhile, and, yeah, the person talking is Robin Gingold, who plays Sarah. Yes. And if I recall correctly, the whole idea behind the name of her character was uh, based on the Jefferson Starship song, Sarah. Is that correct? Uh, and no, you wanted I, to use it in the closing credits? I, 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 was, I wasn't actually aware that... Uh, that there was one. Sarah, Sarah. It, it Storms was... are brewing in your eyes. Sarah, Sarah. No time is a good time for goodbyes. Okay, good. I'm glad you left it there, because that, that's within the parameters of fair use. If you went farther, <laughs> we might have to obtain uh, rights for, to do the cover version. Um, no, Sarah was just because it was like a good Jewish name. And, uh, uh, Sarah is in... Actually, you know what? I can't even remember. Henry, you actually... Uh, read the entire Old Testament, as I recall. Correct. Do you recall who Sarah was? Uh, Sarah was um, Abraham's wife. Oh, uh, and Sarah, lucky gal. Sarah means she laughed. Ah. Because when she was, she was very old and she was told she was going to have a baby. And when she was told that, she laughed. Ah. Yeah. She thought but, she was too old. Wait, she that, didn't get named till she was old? Uh, no, they just they had prophets in those days. And now the introduction of the characters, let's call them archetypes, with strong defining traits and little if any nuance to get in the way. Think Brecht, Shaw, Icelandic sagas. That's Robin Gingold right Again. there, Sarah. And 
her star meter number is 2,383,046 on the IMDb. Oh, yeah, that's, that, that is uh, the, the... Which is up six and a half million. That is the, orthodox, the semi-orthodox version of Super Dad. Uh, like to quote the Christina Pia Hofer piece, Dirty Sound, The Camp Materialism of Blood Orchard Leather Girls, that uh, it privileges a parade of stubbornly negative stock characters over sensible complex storytelling. And they are definitely stock characters, but likable nonetheless. Not that it matters what you think. Who, who, no. did, who does that version of Flea Brain? Wait, what do you mean that version? Where else have you heard that song? Isn't that a Gene Vincent song? Oh, well, you're very astute. Um, I actually originally intended to use the Gene Vincent song, and uh, of course I didn't bother to arrange any of that beforehand. When I called Capitol Records about licensing, they said their minimum licensing fee was $5,000. So uh, I wrote that ver song uh, that's featured. Henry played drums, of course. He's all, always the uh, soldier of fortune drummer ready for a gig. And I, <laughs> I, I played guitar. So you're, you sang it. Yes. Where is that? But yeah. it's not the Gene Vincent version. We're not, we're not paying any money to the publisher. That's and not, but that's not one a... of the many songs on the, in this movie that cannot be heard on the soundtrack LP. That's, that's I right. Gonna, I was going to ask that. <laughs> None of them can be heard in the same form. It's a very soundtrack. rare album. <laughs> and there's Henry's office. A lot of this was shot at uh, Henry's Insti San Francisco institution, The Complex, in which we are sitting now. Mm -hmm. That's well, Melissa Lawrence. <laughs> As Rawhide, who is not the daughter of Bruno Lawrence. That's a sculpture by Walter Sunday, who did, also appears in the film. Right, and did you look up Walter Sunday's star meter? Because he's been on a couple of episodes oh, of yeah. some uh, some detective thing, although... Yeah, he's a, oh, we'll he's get a, to work, a, he's a working actor. Yeah, mm -hmm. we'll get to Walter Sunday when we see him. No, I'll, I'll go through his many roles. Unfortunately, one thing you do not see in Cinnamon these rolls? shots of Henry's office is James Brown's desk. Uh. Because it would it just wouldn't have been right for her character's father to have anything that cool. Also, another thing that sculpture is called Michael's movie. I asked Walter if I could just use one of his sculptures that was existing. He said, "No, I've got to make something special for your movie." And so I said, "No, no, I just want to use this one." And he said, "No, no, no, I'll make something special." So he eventually came up with that, and. Said, okay, well, now you owe me $200 or $300, I forget. But fortunately, Henry was enamored enough of the sculpture that he purchased it. So, uh, that's right. Still hanging in my office Still today. hanging in the office in that same spot. Yep. That made it handy. And this is Joanne Wyman, whose mm -hmm. other credit is Mythbusters. She played Self. And uh, she was a professional uh, piercer for many years. Mm -hmm. And uh, now she's... Uh, I ran into her. What, what is she doing she now? She does, like, Chinese medicine. That's right. Yeah, Chinese, Chinese medicine, medicine, some, some right. massage. And right, I see right. her at yoga a lot. Mm -hmm. ah. Wow. Well, as Elvis said, yoga is as yoga does. There's no in-between. 
Either you're with it all the way or, man, you've blown that scene. Where's that painting today? Where are any of the black velvet paintings of yore? I think it probably got destroyed in the great black velvet painting fire of 1999, which got surprisingly little press coverage. I just got a good button that says Falsy Inspector. <laughs> Thank you, Kai. So, so that might strike one as a really unnecessary cut-in. The, uh, the use of the cigar close-up her getting it out was because the original shot, the cigar was getting all in the lining of her jacket. And even though I was going for a slow, languorous pace in the movie, it just took too long and looked like somebody standing there doing something with her pocket and who knows what, so... I went with the cut-in. Every weekday before proceeding to... And here is also your use of multiple narrators. And yes. why did you do that? Um, what was a, your deliberate reason? At a certain point, <laughs> Philip uh, just refused to do anything else. He said, no, you're just going to keep asking me for more stuff. I've done enough. So I just had to do it myself. Philip Silverstein plays Inspector Morton. You heard him in the beginning of the film. Right. The film. Name, and he, name, was, he was best known for uh, riding his bicycle around with a um, plumber's helper on mm -hmm. his stuck to his bald head. Mm -hmm. And his character, Joe Morton, is named after uh, George Burns and Gracie Allen's neighbor on the Burns and Allen show. And he died about five years ago. Yeah. He was upset one day when somebody said to him, you look like a whale on a bicycle. <laughs> and he said... Whales don't ride bicycles. Philip, you just look like a whale riding that bicycle. Whales do not ride bicycles. Instantly, it's a spot in San Mateo. That is, some, somewhere near there on the San Mateo Creek is where Deanza's expedition camped for the night. This is very close to uh, where they almost built the mission. Uh, but they decided to go with San Francisco instead. I was actually looking this up for a hike just last night. Oh. Well, you can't hike that long around there because you just run up into another street. But And the fourth leather girl who we haven't talked about yet is Simone Margolis. She's the other blonde girl sitting in the back on the left. Uh, although you will see her hair in various colors and various lengths, like all of the girls, various lengths. E even though she was only in the shooting for about two months, so the other girls had a bit more of an excuse, even though I made them take a vow to not do anything different with their hair. You know, when it stretches out over years, you can understand that. And Although that I, I think it's kind of cheating because um, two of them, when they saw Equinox, which I had always loved, and never, I, of course I had never noticed the distinct uh, differences in the actress's hair in various of the scenes, because some of it was shot much later, but they, they just thought that was ridiculous how the hair changed in Equinox. And that's the most ridiculous thing in Equinox. And uh, Simone can also be seen in some fine pornographic films. What are some titles? Such as San Francisco Lesbians 3, San Francisco Lesbians 4, Finger Pleasures 2. She, she, didn't, make, uh, she didn't make the cut for three and a half. Valentine's Challenge. Valentine's Wonderland. Ooh, those are good names. The Valentine's. The, the late Dale Souls. So this this is the Dale oh. Souls, not not the uh, one that you came across on IMDb. 
Although my, this, my this college this... buddy from New College of California. Mm-hmm. Wonderful guy. As we will see in the centuries to come, that is in the centuries to come. So, yeah, Dale he... Souls on the IMDb is a woman who's in Orange is the New Black. Uh, but one of her credits is Blood Orgy in this role. <laughs> Just because they fucked up. You know, all those, yeah, you mean, all those highly paid people who work on you these mean, things. You mean she fucked up by not getting in this movie. Could have made a career. But yeah, Dale thought this was a very ridiculous thing, but he was, uh, as they say in the exciting world of cockfighting, he was dead game. Uh, the other Dale Souls... Oh, that's Danny Sealy's junk, by the way. <laughs> he, he was also dead game. And speaking of dead game, I, I'll I flip over the cards earlier. I was going to save this. Originally, uh, Tom Berg, who plays the Night Owl security guy, was supposed to be the guy who got his butt drilled. But I had not yet learned the lesson that if you have any nude scenes, you shoot them first so that the people can't back out of them. And that was what he was willing to have his nuts cut off. <laughs> no, that was Danny. <laughs> oh, yeah. I are we um, in this exact same spot? Yes, we are. We are in this spot. I am. In, I am actually very close to the spot where I was sitting, although I'm facing a different direction. This is Philip Silverstein. Yep. The the inspector. Jo Johnny Strike on uh, the left. Yeah, on the left. Joel Brockman. Rod. I cannot recall his last name. I'd have to dig out the uh, release. As I mentioned in the interview segment, uh, Rod was outside drinking the, uh, we were also shooting the girls the same day, and when they were outside smoking, he came over and uh, was saying, ladies, and uh, he introduced him as Rodrigo, and he, you know, he was just a, a really, a character who was ready to go, and when he said, you're shooting a movie in there? Let me be in. I said, okay. But uh, somebody who had been his drinking buddy for that morning um, was very upset about not being let in, uh, is the guy dressed all in cami, and he started banging on the door and yelling. If you listen very carefully, you can hear the ambient sound of him like, in the background. And the person on the right there is Joel Brockman, and on the left, Johnny Strike. I believe I already mentioned that. You know, there's a difference on this version that uh, on the VHS, this scene repeats itself, correct? Oh, does it? I thought that was something they did in the, in the uh, transfer. Just wait a second. We can see it all again. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, that was corrected then. I, I guess there is one version of the VHS where that, where that happened. That explains, I didn't understand how in the transfer they did that when I was looking at the transfer. So, now, Joel Brockman was a skateboarder, and he got all his, well, a bunch of his teeth knocked out a couple of times. And then he got a motorcycle, and he <laughs> lost a bunch of skin on his... Uh, on his arm and leg. <laughs> his nickname was Lucky. And that's, uh, I, I'm sorry, it actually wasn't executive. John Jost and Henry Roosevelt were associate producers. Uh, Henry may as well have been an executive producer. And he is a collector of pennants, and those pennants you see are a small part of his collection. And they adorn the walls around us as I speak. That's right. Uh, North America only, no sports teams and no schools. Right. How many roles do you play in this, Mike? Um, let's see. Sarah's father. Super dad, because this is the same guy who's wearing the super dad shirt. Pain in the butt. I'll tell you. I mean, I, I do, you know, some body stand-in for stuff. Uh, but as far as actual roles, and then I'm a narrator. 
Men thirst not only for beer. You guys like pecans or walnuts on your cinnamon rolls? That's me. I, I, I do not <laughs> like cinnamon rolls. They're gross. They're worse than donuts. Uh, the I cannot remember her name, and I think she didn't want to credit in the movie. But She's credited as El Elvira Schwarzovova or something like right, that. Right. <laughs> well, because Elvira Schwartz is uh, Herbert Schwartz's mother. It's an inside joke. But Philip dug her up for me through his contacts in the theater world. I believe she was an exotic dancer. It had occurred to me that in addition to the male nudity, there should be some female nudity, as nudity makes a movie seem more legitimate. So I shot the goddess or spirit of the eternal feminine, or whatever symbolism you like, shots, and also expanded on the character of Lenny Rice, since the drill scene had already been shot. And I knew we had this extra character. So, do, do, you, do, you, always wear, do you always wear shorts? Tomorrow? That was very nice of you to film the, the woman and me on different days. Absolutely. I, I, I was going to mention that pro tip. You might not notice this, but, but they're not even in this. They are not in the same. They are in the same room, but on different days. And she's at one end and he's at the other. Well, yeah, she's probably, at, what, about 30 feet away? Yeah, over, over by the stairs. That's Tom Berg. What's his star, Peter? <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> could, have, could have been a lot higher if he'd, if he'd uh, been willing to Tom Bird, take the drill. star meter, 7,524,890. And he's, he's down 255,000. Wow. <laughs> All right, and that, that was the back part of the floor. Um, Henry was renting to me for many, many years. Is that um, Simone on the right? That's, that's Simone, Simone on the right. right. And Joanne Wyman in the middle, and Robin Gingold on the left. And uh, by the way, oh, that's the limb warehouse. <laughs> <laughs> I just needed to throw something in there, so that was filmed many years later. It's not the same room. Simone tried to sue me. Uh, uh, probably about what about nine years after this was filmed, uh, because oh. I put out a soundtrack album of this mm -hmm. movie. And I think she just thought, hey, if he's got money to put out a record, he must be a millionaire. But uh, right. she signed a release, and it's official. She, she's an idiot. She, she had a tax lawyer <laughs> press the suit, and among his complaints was that the soundtrack album didn't actually have any of the music from the movie. As though that's his business. But he also he had a, something that was, you know, it is my understanding, that, and Sven wrote him the brilliant reply, if you had a client who told you that he lived with a genie in a bottle in his living room or that he had a horse who talked, would, would you believe him? Simply because your client tells you something does not make this true. And by the way, me saying she's an idiot, that's an opinion. That's, that's not libel. It would be libel if I just made something up and said like it was true, like say... She would shit on you for $100 in a burrito. I mean, not, of course, that's, me. that's, that would be crazy, and I would never do that. But, and and, uh, and by, by the way, that, that opinion about the mental acuity of this person... Strangely, that's, is, that is, is, is the one thing that <laughs> and I share. <laughs> There's another cat. Hey, who, who does the narration during that? Uh... Me. It was a silent educational film I picked up at a flea market, and just to move it along a bit, I cut out the intertitles and narrated the text from them. 
Oh, oh, there's another mic appearance. Oh yeah, there you go. I'm also <laughs> the one. But so uh, just to just to make things move along, I put some narration over it because it was just too ridiculous that anybody in that day and age would be watching a one silent education movie. B Street, San Mateo. Not walking right up to the turnstile thrift store where my mom used to work. There's Trags, supermarket. Talk about the music, the, your music that yeah. you wrote here. Oh, uh, well, it's some music I wrote, you know. It's nice yeah. plucking. What instrument is yeah. that? Uh, the plucking is on a guitar. You have the tone set so that it's very percussive and... Ah. And there's the, and there's Super Dad, the guy who's who's is, in the key clubs. Same is character. The same day. Same day. Same character. He, he went just, home and changed. He went home and changed <laughs> because he's distributing the uh, the Valentine's hearts. I, this is post Valentine's Day, so I got those things on sale, which was true, as he said. You know, he got a good deal on them. Now, see, there's the coach sen sending in the next team. This is currently the uh, s site of the San Mateo location of La Cumbre Taqueria which is not as good as the San Francisco location, but At this point, there you have it. By the way, uh, so John Jost was an associate producer because he did a bunch of filming for me, including all these shots that were displaced. Dr. Heinz he had the great idea of putting up different stuff in back of Philip. Oh, this is, I like this. Who doesn't? Owen Merricks? Yeah, this is, he's great. He's wonderful. If you want to support Owen, go to the East Bay Vivarium in Berkeley and, and buy some snakes, lizards, what have you. Rats. Rats. Fro frozen rats. Does Lulu, Lulu get her, if her rats? If your, kids, ah, if, your kids, if your kids want a pet but you don't have to take care of them, get them a frozen rat. <laughs> and he's also interviewed for like a full hour on a podcast called Big Picture Science, and the episode name is Venom Diagram. It's pretty good. Oh. Uh, we must turn our attentions to the human species. And so I, I gave him, you know, just a, a rough outline of what I wanted him to say, and he added a lot of wonderful stuff to it, the uh, shopping department of Macy's. And, uh, is, is and here's symbolism of something, anything, everything. Or perhaps the red talon-like fingernails that they... This star meter is 1,923,092. I, I can't believe that Tom Berg's is higher. What's, what's lower? Wrong? Well, I mean, it's Tom's like 9 million or something. Yeah, that's what he's... Uh, wait, is, is it, is it's, it, the closer you get to one, the better. Oh, okay. <laughs> Tom Cruise is not 100 million. It's like golf. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> wait, so I probably don't have one, so I win. Uh, no. I, you did not have one. You're not credited in this movie on the site at all. So, I, so I've so i got a zero. That I, that wins. No, but you are listed for Kai's movie. Ah. <laughs> and, oh, what are you? You these, are, your star meter is 2,306,000. You want to talk about those photos? Yeah, th those were shots of me at the hospital after I uh, was assaulted by three guys with rubber hoses and a tire jack. Like at the whole Ocean jack, Beach. not at Iron, at Ocean Beach. Um, I, I thought I had the situation in control. I kept just like trying to talk the guy down and moving the uh, tire jack out of the way. And he just flipped it up in my face. It's like, didn't see that coming. Was made by yeah, so I, I, were you there, Henry? I was not there. Was yeah, not there. I was there. And uh, it was scary as fuck because Mike was laying on the hood of a station wagon after he'd been hit and these guys took off. And it looked like he had a hole in the middle of his head. 
yeah. like right between his eyes, and I thought he was going to die. It was yeah. horrible. It, it was. It was. It wasn't between the eyes as it turned out. It was like between. Oh, oh yeah, it was between eyes, of course. But fortunately, it did allow me to achieve a higher level of enlightenment because my chi was opened up. <laughs> and there, and there's Henry Rosenthal, associate yeah. producer. Well, uh, I had a. That also is the back of the third floor, the front part of which I was renting. And Emergency. I want to get so you heard of why John Jost was the, an associate producer. Henry, of course, is very generous in his, the use of his place and also an invaluable resource, as he's been for many filmmakers. Anybody who comes to him with some question, no matter how ridiculous and dumb, he will give them a good answer and attempt to help them. When I started making this movie, I had no idea what all the steps were. And uh, every time I got to a certain point, I said, okay, so what do I do now? Oh, well, you get the sound transferred to Magstock. Oh, okay. Where do I do that? And uh, kind of remarkable that it got made. So, Henry, this is, is actually your earliest credit on the IMDb. That's true. And so are you thankful to Mike for <laughs> him getting <laughs> your start? In... <laughs> I am. I am. It was great. Um, Mike, you know, was always working on some project or another, and there was always... Props being made and mm -hmm. plans being made for shoots, and it was a magical time. Ah, uh, regarding the baby in the stroller, someone in the avenues was selling an Airflex camera, but he was willing to rent it to me until he found a buyer. He'd filmed some Peking opera with it and had toured rural areas of China years before, showing them in places that didn't get touring Peking opera companies, I suppose. He showed me some of them and wanted to know if I thought there would be a market for them in the U.S. But they were just one static shot of the stage, so I didn't really think they could compete with Hong Kong movies of the time. So I was doing some test footage with this camera along Market Street, and I knew I needed to get a shot of a baby in a stroller. There was a woman pushing a stroller with a baby, and I said, could I take some pictures of him? And she thought that was great, sure. Wow, someone wants to take a picture of my baby. So I did, and there he is. <laughs> I remember we would we dropped that bowling ball off of the bridge. Yeah, and uh, it had a hard time getting it to uh, penetrate the windshield. Yeah, I was expecting it to shatter, and it just did. We had to do it several times, as I recall. Yeah, and it's it's safety glass, so it's hard to go. There's there's another guy who just happened to be walking by, and he wanted to be in the movie. So it's like okay. So also showed us he had a <laughs> he he had was do you call. Was it a butterfly knife? He had, he had some kind he had some, <laughs> that, that he was very adept at. He had some knife that he was showing off because we saw because we had. What's his What's his star rating? <laughs> Seven. <laughs> and the, the great Tony Nazo as Brother Dominic. This yeah. once again is on the ground floor. He was speaking about ten feet from where I am now. I wish you could all be here to see it. One of the great uh, experimental music composers, conceptual artists. Of all time. I think him calling the wild breed the wild herd was just an honest mistake and not him actually coming up with a, uh, a, a brilliant line intentionally. So, do you have any, do you know why your previous film, The Devil Has the Biggest Tits You Ever Saw, mm. has not made it to the IMDb yet? Well, the only showing it had was at Rock Ross's legendary Know Nothing Cinema, 
where John Jost did a showing of Last Chance for Slow Dance, where the Wild Breed played afterwards. But the title of The Devil was based on the National Lampoon, Joke James Bond movie, The Spy with the Biggest Penis You Ever Saw. Uh, Chrissy Boom Boom Menor Pigs is the star. And what else can you really say about it? Will that be a bonus on this uh, um, feature? Maybe, unofficially. I, and Henry, you played a role in that. What was that role? I can't remember. You played a cop. Oh, I did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that was, that, that was in Diary of a Genius. The Jack Webb fan cop. Oh, but that's Henry, too. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. H Henry filling in for David Noodleman. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And Ricky, Ricky Bell. They don't even show David Noodleman in this, right? Nope. Oh, that's my old Hagstrom guitar that got mm -hmm. uh, stolen. And, and, that, and that is the uh, flag of the Vatican in the back. It has, for vexillologists out there, you're aware that it has a white field next to a yellow field, which is not supposed to be done in flags. And that's a, that is to symbolize that the Vatican is not bound by earthly rules. And why, why wasn't Dave there? Because it wasn't filmed as though there was actually a band playing. This was all a bunch of disjointed scenes uh, of a few people at a time stitched together. I was listening to his uh, Smoke Turkey. That song is pretty good. So it looks like somebody in the band was there. Was that you, Mike? Or somebody wearing your... Um, or is that Aaron? Maybe that was Aaron. Hmm. Sarah Jacobson later stated under oath that she went outside the hall where the dance was taking place in order to smoke a cigarette. The gang member, known as Rawhide, ran up to her. As she put it, all spazzed out. Hi. Yeah, you're supposed to fill in when we're... Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sorry. I was just... Uh... You were absorbed. I was absorbed. trying to figure out who's it, who's this character. That's Simone. Oh, that's, that's, that's Simone? Crystal. Yeah. That's, that's why you don't see that gang member after this. Sarah then stated... And also because... Yeah, this is a major oh. plot point here. Yeah. Proceeded to follow the car. Where is this? Uh, south of Market. Uh, I... Down by the train station. Yeah, that's Townsend, I think. Yeah. That's... By the old clam house? No, 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 no. no, 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 no. It's, that's they, that's it's an old the, base. The road. railroad is. It was on the right on that first shot. Yeah. And that's fifth. Mm-hmm. That's Joanne. So <laughs> wait, do, the Phantom Surfers do this, don't they? Yes, we do. It's on the big screen spectacular because uh -huh. this is officially a song from a movie. But not on the soundtrack Track. LP. <laughs> on, the soundtrack, on the soundtrack LP, the Phantom Surfers essay a bar band version of Jimmy Reed, uh, The Eleventh Frame. 
because that's, of course, the classic name for the bar and bowling alleys. That's like the 19th hole in golf courses. And that's our shtick there. And was Melissa asked to be one of the leather girls so you could use her car in this, or because she was one of the leather girls? She was one of the leather girls. She was part of the San Mateo crowd that had the band Wig Torture and later the Rot 1 and 2 at its hub. The shot of them walking down B Street was recreating the moment I thought of make a movie with them. Just like Peter Fonda realizing that there is a movie to be made from the shot of him and Bruce Dern riding away from the construction site in Wild Angels. I thought there was a movie in those three. So I guess this is my easy rider. Robin's character is inspired by herself, basic teen nihilism. Melissa is younger, an unformed character looking to others for elements to use in fashioning her own identity. And Joanne had a flair for drama, so she had no problem with this stock character of a dim-witted thug. Whereas Robin and Melissa were not straying far from their normal characters, just amplified and simplified. Yeah, so the three of them were friends in real life, as we know, uh, and... In, in a kind of rotating way of, you know, sometimes frenemy that, uh, you know, teens are. Are yeah, they still it, friends now? Dorothea slash no. Simone was actually not friends with any of them. Um, but uh, I dated her for like two months, and I think that's when you asked her to be in the film. Simone? Yeah, and yeah, then she dropped out of high school. Because, uh, <laughs> and then she just disappeared. Because you, need, you really need more than three people for a gang. If you have if you have four and one drops out, that's fine. It's but it's you know if it, if it starts off with a three person gang, that's just like it's, that's not a gang. Yeah, the ex girlfriend that tried to sue you. That's the one he was talking about. Yes. yes. Wow. <laughs> Kai, you should listen. Uh, she to the, was you should all, listen to the commentary. Also, no, no, no. I along got the with first her one. other aliases, one of them was Simone Thirdarm, the cyber piss goddess of annihilating feces. Yeah, she put out a comic book where she crawled out of a, a toilet while um. Another woman was attempting to use it for more regular purposes. That is defecating or urinating when the cyber piss goddess comes up. And it was surprisingly an Archie comic book. That was the strangest <laughs> thing about it. Although the views expressed are not necessarily those of the Archie Comics Corporation. <laughs> Poor Jughead. Why? He had it made. Uh, this was David Noodleman's house. The, the first iteration of The Rot, where he lived upstairs. I just always wanted to see a scene like that in a movie where, you know. And there's Pat Bartlett, John Bartlett's mother. Mother of 10 children. Yeah. Yeah. Um, she also used to sew people's uh, shorts all the time, board shorts. And she made me some... Uh, Santa Claus board shorts, and she made David Noodleman these amazing blue shorts with a giant fried egg as a pocket. Mm. <laughs> she she made she made me f- red shorts with dice on them, and a matching red shirt for like loungewear. Yeah, and after having ten kids, she went back to school and became a nurse. Was at this point in the case. How did she feel about this movie? Uh, she died before it was finished. Yeah. No, actually, I, don't, I think it was after, but still. Well, she, she was, died in 1989. Yeah. So well, yeah, before I mean, it was it, released. It was finished, but before it was released in as much as ever. She was in a lot of my films. She, 
She always uh, was up for doing anything, but I don't think she ever had any interest in seeing any of them. <laughs> so this started, you started shooting what year? 1984, I believe. Where are those friends of yours that raped our sister, Dorothea? I don't know what you're talking about. That's Andy Pavis. And what's his star meter? <laughs> this movie's the, definitely the best thing that happened in the 80s. Oh. <laughs> he, Andy Pavis portrays the role of Ricky Bell, as you mentioned. His star meter is 5,285,917. What do you got against Ricky? You ask the people who make the star meter. In order to obtain information in the quickest possible manner. I'd love that guy. He, uh, when, uh, when um, I was arrested in San Luis Obispo at a wig torture show, he was the one who threw my bail. And for that, as well as just being Andy Pavis, he has my eternal gratitude. Did and you pay him back? <laughs> yes, I did. I, I remember you told me once that um, he came to you at a party or something and said he took a shit that looked like a cobra. <laughs> I don't think it was at a party, he did, but he did mention one time. I, I, not not to me, he was just famous. He said there was like, dude, you've got to see the shit I just made. It's, like, oh, oh, it's all coiled up <laughs> in the bowl like a cobra. And there's my friend Eric Moberg, USMC, from Embassy Duty in uh, Luxembourg and Paraguay. He was in my high school bands. Okay, so I have a question about that. His his character is Erhard Spogli. Is yes. that named after Werner Erhard or Werner Erhard? It, 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 it is indeed. His father worked for uh, Erhard seminar training in San Francisco, and every now and then we would come up and we... Oh, another uh, Phantom Surfer's song. Mm-hmm. But this is also, it's a cover of a song that's used in Ratfinger Boo Boo that's been uh, hard to pin it down. Ray did a stucco, did remember. He just got it from a uh, you know, music library. How'd you do this underwater shot? Bought it underwater? I rented, excuse me, rented an underwater camera case. It's 30 bucks. Expand one's Gotta be an underwater shot. Yeah, so Eric Moberg, by the way, mm -hmm. is uh, he's miscredited as on IMDb as the production manor on Journey to the Seventh Planet from oh, 19, oh, oh, 1961. Oh, no, he, oh, he did that. It's got a good theme song <laughs> in that, that is, movie. That is, that is, oh, May of 1961, yeah, because he was born June 61, I believe, uh, says he. So, yeah, that is part of his delegating responsibility to a prenatal work. Uh, by the way, the, uh, the plot of that movie, mm -hmm. Earth sends a five-man team to the frozen planet Uranus only to find a... I can't read my handwriting. It's not frozen. <laughs> <laughs> all right, here's Gary Castell. <laughs> yeah. How much did you spend on all those uh, trophies? I mean, it's not as though I wrote it and then I had to go out and buy the trophies. The reason the scene existed was somebody had a bunch of bowling trophies, you know, a box of bowling trophies at a garage sale, I believe it was, and they just needed to get rid of them and it was cheap. I mean, that's, that's why I wrote the scene, obviously. Come on, Kai. Get to the program here. You should see all the junk I have in the back of my car right now. Why don't you make a movie about it? Oh, my God. <laughs> you think. Yeah. Oh, the soundtrack <laughs> by other music here. That's right. D D David Doty, I told him I wanted to use one of his pieces. and uh, There's Philly Brain's hair changed again, by yep. the way. And he said, yeah, he was running off to the stylist between scenes all the time. <laughs> uh, but but uh, David, David was skeptical that it would ever get used in... If you actually finish a movie, you can use it. I said, okay. Where was this part filmed? Uh, Mount Davidson, and this, the uh, cross is uh, famous as uh, appearing in Dirt the First and still best, Dirty Harry. 
Isn't it also in the uh, although although so, although oh yeah, and of course on the cover of the Knights of the Crusade first album, My God Is Alive. Sorry about yours. Somehow uh, Harry manages to take some tunnel that leads from Mount Davidson to Fisherman's Wharf. And that that was your bed, right? Uh, no, that was a spare bed. Okay. That was my old bed that I was not using at that point. I was, before I before I got rid of it, I was like, well, let's use this as the... That wasn't the bed. loneliest mattress, was it? No. <laughs> that was a whole other tale. Well, let's hear that tale. It's, it's not interesting. So <laughs> <laughs> It's exactly the opposite of not interesting. <laughs> Is that your opinion? Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 think, I, I think I'm going to have to side with SOV on this one. <laughs> this is... Uh, not interesting. <laughs> unlike, un, unlike the Telltale Couch. <laughs> now that's interesting. So, so here's a, here's a little movie magic here for all of you aspiring filmmakers. Note how there's no indication that there's any kind of house anywhere near this. There's no indication of how they're going to scale the cross and drop on, other than they've got a rope, and yet they do it and. It works. Kind of. Movie magic. Movie magic, as I said. What's happening there in the blurry shots? That's, that's you know, the, the, the psychedelic, mind-altering power of physical love. Also... I, I want to do that sometime. Make love? No, no, no. Yeah, <laughs> to the point where someone's crushing a beer can. Um, also... I you know, Carol. You know the owner of Confusion Hill has that same cup. I drank out of it this weekend. You used to get it free for for applying for a Sears credit card. I, I think you gave me the, the lemonade pitcher. True. Um, the That's a uh, great excavation of Stevenson Street. Remember that? Oh yes. Won't is this Gary that. Castell? Mm-hmm. Is it Gary Castell, SFPD officer. Still? Mm-hmm. Uh, no, no longer. I'm retired now. Yeah, good. He he did he did not like it. No, he didn't like it. Uh, the, the painting in the background is now possession possession of John Bastian. Oh. Okay, so, so brutal. It was, no, there's a strike. A strike. I have a theory. Look, about, not one, oh, there's one. There's a spare. Mm-hmm. About the movie, Mike, and this yes. is this is one of the nine in a wiggle. This is one of the scenes that you filmed in like the first two or three weeks yep. where you were working on weekends and you had cameras and sound and all that stuff. But after mm-hmm. you got, uh, you know, beat almost to death, um, you took a break and then the production values, some would say they became more artistic. Others, <laughs> others would say maybe they got lowered, you know, without lights and no sound and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Was that because you just like ran out of money after that or... Well, I, I wanted to get dialogue scenes first to make sure that that it could be done. But I always figured that there would be a minimum of dialogue, just enough to make it seem like it was kind of a real movie. My favorite scenes are still coming. All of my favorite scenes are still coming up. In fact, the two, I feel like the cinematography is amazing. Well, but amazing. I mean, a lot of that stuff was <laughs> shot. Yeah. You know, a uh, lot of the stuff spread out through the movie. was It was not shot in order. Right. As far as the the lighting, I you know, a lot of that was stuff where I had to shoot it, and my you know, I I've got no business behind a camera. Oh, um, this is uh, 
Oh yeah, this this is, uh, this is uh, right next door to Walter Sunday's right, place. Right, uh, uh, ten forty. Uh, well, I shouldn't give the address, I guess. Yeah. If they remake but, uh, this, Marco should play this role. This, that... this was a condemned building that uh, mm-hmm. uh, I was in the process of renovating at the time, but uh, mm-hmm. used it as a yeah. location for this scene. So that that actually had you know you're you're being attacked and going into you know surgery and recovering for weeks had nothing to do with the the split in the movie methods. It was more that the longer that work on the film went on, the harder it was to motivate people. It's also harder for me to buy film and to rent equipment as often since I was working on getting a teaching credential then, though I was making some money as a substitute teacher at the high school where I was doing my student teaching. As it turned out, I was unable to get a job in the area, and I wound up driving cab instead at Johnny Strike's recommendation. So I was driving 10-hour shifts, which few cabbies do five days a week, which is the maximum you're allowed, but I did. 6 p.m. to 4 a.m. I paid off some debts and squirreled some money away, but driving took up too much time for me to do much work on the movie, or for that matter, hang around the peninsula crowd as much which was fine as many of them were getting mired in what seemed like a passive nihilism, which is why they called their hangout the rot, as one of them explained it to me, life is just rotting anyway, and I'm negative enough without that in my life. Did you have a cab, yeah, cab name? Did you have a cab cabby name? Um, Michael. Oh. This location uh, was later inhabited by uh, the niece of Abigail Folger, who was killed uh, by the Manson family. Mm. And uh, I got a call one day. I'm not say, laughing about that. I know where the story's going. Saying that uh, they were freaked out because they, they knew that a movie had been filmed in the, their apartment at one time before. Well, and, and, and didn't were, she they, say something about it? I, I know Michael con- did it, and I know he has stuff like snuff movies. No, they were convinced that someone had actually been killed, that a, that a snuff movie had been shot in, this, in their apartment, and they felt like the spirit of that was still uh, haunting the place. I had to reassure them that... No one was killed uh, in the well, you would making say of that. this film. <laughs> yeah, I would. And, and so Henry, Almost killed, Henry, though, right? Henry, Henry went over in his supernatural investigator guys, right. and they showed him that the light bulb flickered. Oh, yeah, yeah. They, were, they thought there was a poltergeist there, and uh, it was a flickering light bulb. Uh, so I uh, turned on the light switch, and the, the bulb went pop and burnt out, and I changed the light bulb, and then everything was fine. But I, I uh, closed the door and performed, made some ritual sounds, and so came out wiping my brow as if I'd just been in battle <clears throat> with the demons and so said re- that uh, everything was okay now. So remember, if you're troubled by supernatural forces, a new light bulb. It's like, it's like that comic where the Irish cop uh, goes back to the haunted house with a broom because he remembers his mother telling him that the, the devil's afraid of a broom more than anything else. There you go. Loved that one as a kid. I just had to go back to the Dollar Tree for a defaulty light bulb. <laughs> so frustrating. Well, wait, wait. You uh, had to. Wait, so... <laughs> Kai, I get my money back. Okay, okay Kai, <laughs> I, I understand that if you want a faulty light bulb, you'd go to Dollar Tree, but why did you want a faulty light bulb in the first place? I don't know. But another <laughs> thing is, I bought some Planters peanuts there, and they were horrible. <laughs> surprise, surprise. <laughs> At least you didn't buy the cart... There's, there is a clamper who 
bought carnitas at a dollar store. And she's like, and I'm like uh, no thanks. Uh, no, you got to try some of my carnitas. I make such good carnitas. Uh, you remember the time I bought like five or 10 pounds of clam strips at the dollar store? Oh, I almost ran over iced tea when I bought those clam strips. What? It was in uh, San Rafael. And I, I bought the clam strips because they were a dollar. And then I flipped a U-turn. And Ice T was in the parking lot, and he was waiting for somebody. They, I guess they were recording that week. Uh, and he he just looked up and he jumped back because he thought I was going to nail him, but what, I didn't. Uh, I, you're, how do you know it was Ice T? No, it was Ice T. I I just you I, could, you I, could find, tell. I find it hard to believe that Ice T would be in the dollar store parking lot no, waiting no, no, no. for a ride. It's a very nice parking lot, and, it, <laughs> and it's uh, it's right next to the it's right next to the freeway and a pupusa place. Well, Ice T is a very well known fan of clam strips. <laughs> But no, you know who was though. He was upset that you got the last bag. <laughs> when we had when we got the show, when I put out the clam strips out the uh, Winter's Tavern, there was this group of super stoned hippies, and they just like their hands just went out like claws, and they're eating all the clam strips. It was so gross. I mean, I wouldn't even eat in those clam strips. Wow. So, back to back to your attack, Mike. The. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that as being actually a, a life-changing event or anything. I uh, Well, it, yeah, it to, seemed to, to, that way to everybody there. There were a lot of people there. There were at least 20, 25 people there. Yeah. Most of the people saw them, got the the car license down. Mm, right. Um, and yet, somehow, the SFPD uh, couldn't didn't prosecute anybody. Well, no, they, they, they wanted to. The thing was, it was an unregistered card. It was like a beater card that, that got staffed someplace and people would use when, when they were just out creating trouble. So, uh, making mischief. But there was a growing schism, like I said, with the wig torture scene being more hedonistic without the fun aspects of hedonism, at least from my perspective. You know, with the exception of the David Noodleman Three Stone Men posy stoner thing. That's a thumb can opener, excuse me, bottle opener. Owen Merrick's had the great idea of taking a little bit of roast beef off of the sandwich he was eating and wrapping it around that, and uh, boom. It's not a, not a bad effect. There's also some flea market footage, as, as was the birth of a baby in the uh, Vietnam War footage. News footage. It would have been ironic, actually, if you had gotten attacked by three women. So that's Dr. Heinz yeah. Kremhold screaming. Or, or ha- yes. <laughs> or had I been drafted into Vietnam. It's always good when a character in a movie pops up again later as a sort of meta character. And that's this. Oh, I like this scene. And there's Sven Eric's brother, Ben. He's listening to David Noodleman, The Wild Breed, and... Despite the mellifluous uh, tones, the fact the fact that it's a song about being killed, and he knows that he's next somehow. Song incidentally is about a true and case. And it's a capital record. I had yeah. no idea. <laughs> um, a uh, the Carolans family were a wealthy railroad, I believe, family, and they had an abandoned mansion up in the Hillsborough Mountains. And a few times, uh, various crews of people would go up there and hang around and. Um, a couple of people we knew went there one time and talked to the security guard, and uh, he said he'd give them a tour if they exposed their breasts. These were females. Okay. Otherwise, he wouldn't have cared, probably. How many tours did he give? Well, I don't know, but uh, right, two, two, uh, just a few weeks after that, I forget how long, but a few weeks after that, there were two women, and he killed one, 
uh, thought he killed the other one, left her in his trunk, went down to San Jose or wherever he lived and played Monopoly with his family, as I recall, and then dumped her off of uh, the side of Highway 1, but she lived. Woof. Uh, but that was... Uh, but then we went back up to Carolyn's mansion, so I guess they stopped having security guards since they were kind of... Uh, more dangerous than just letting people run wild around the mansion. And Dave, Dave was doing a photo session there, and he just extemporaneated uh, the song "I Saw Someone Killed in This House," which was probably his first big hit. Because <laughs> it was, you know, contemporary; people could relate to it, like Bob Dylan. Hands down, this is my favorite scene in the whole movie. But yeah, focus is not so tight on that. That's that's something I shot. Lighting, it's just like ah. It's probably enough light. And he is trying to be the security guard for Ben right now. I like this editing with the... Which, which uh, you know, maybe he shouldn't be drinking on the job anyway. <laughs> LSD or not. I'm just saying. <laughs> That's great. But being on acid is something that he could portray very, very easily. He had a good sense of memory of it. And I forget whose house Holy. this was. That wasn't his house? Oh, no. I thought I the door, front door was his house. Oh, maybe it is. Okay, that'll explain it. Because obviously he's not there with, uh, with Ben. Mm -hmm. Where's that L suit yeah. now? Well, it's not really a suit. It's just the mask, a bunch of uh, feathers from fans bought in Chinatown, taped together, and, uh, and a shirt. Movie magic. Movie magic again. <laughs> Making movie magic. Very magical mystery tour. But see here, you know, you look at this, a John Joe shot and the footage is wonderful. But, uh... So should we talk about some of the feminist aspects of the movie? I mean, that's, you know, one of the things that's attracted attention for it. And yet here we are, a bunch of guys talking about a bunch of guy jokes and, you know, surfing and flatulence and... That's right. Well, it did have a female director. Well, now, is does that make it a spoof? Does it make it an insult? Or, you know, let's... So we, what are the feminist aspects of this? We need to have a conversation about this in America today. <laughs> about this movie. Yes. Yeah, it, all, it, all, it all has to revolve around something that I came up with, of course. <laughs> Um, when, yeah, well, are you, when are you going to let your daughters watch this? Uh, well, whenever they want, I guess. I mean, right right now... Father's Day is coming up. <laughs> you, you, you know, uh, when, when Livia was five, she liked uh, Frankenstein, but uh, then thinking about it a couple of years later it was too scary for her, so... Yeah. But, you know, when they, when, when they, when they want to, they... Fine. It's their dad's movie. Why should they ever be interested in it? <laughs> that's, that's not the way kids are. We'll find out soon enough with yours, Kai. Right? Yeah. I wonder if cross, crossbow sales went up after this within mm. your friends, the viewers. This inspired, I want to get a crossbow, or at least just shoot one from this. Well, Kai, they're not hard to find. I don't need one after one day. I remember that character in Savage Streets showing up with a crossbow without any Chekhovian prefiguring, such as showing her on the high school crossbow team or starring in a production of William Tell, as being a really big what-the-fuck moment in that movie. 
but it wound up being one of the lesser what the fuck moments in Blood Orgy, I think, which could be regarded as a shaggy dog story stitching a lot of what the fuck moments together. A couple more points from Hofer's article. She states Blood Orgy is for those who primarily seek to indulge in the thrills of tacky, haptic, visceral materiality rather than those who want to make sense of and reflect on a finely structured tale. And that it's presumptuous to assume that there is one and perhaps only one correct interpretation regarding the film's intention. Both excellent points, I think. So do you want to okay. actually talk about the, uh, the feminist stuff? Well, yeah. Maybe I, after the ninja school? Maybe. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I wonder whether I'm actually qualified to speak about it since, you know... Well, you're qualified is, this is my, to speak about this is, this, this, this is my statement that we're watching, whatever it, the heck it is. So, I, Kai, what do you think? What, oh, the, what, the sea worm? No, about, you know, about, about is, is the feminism of uh, Blood Orgy legitimate? And how can you tell? Or not? I don't know. If it... That's Walter Sunday, the ninja teacher. Yeah. Uh, oh, that's right. I'm also a few of the ninjas. I forgot. Yeah, he's uh, he's still working in Hollywood. Of his many many roles, he has played party guest, theater extra, older Russian, thug, fisherman, detective, CSI tech, and my favorite, hot dog vendor. Mm. <laughs> I believe he's uh, working out of New York, not Hollywood. Yeah, ho yeah New York. Uh, Hollywood in the general sense. Yeah. I see. One. Come along and be my party guest. So, so cut, I'm okay. trying to misdirect the stalkers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, what were you going to say? Um, I, uh, so, yeah. I, I want to hear your thoughts on this. I don't know. I, well, this... What, what is this gal's name? Robin. Robin. I mean, she's the toughest cookie in the whole movie, obviously. Okay. Look at that. Not even flinching. Well, either that guy is the <laughs> sea worm. That's it? Tough cookie? That was about yeah. it. Yeah. That's, <laughs> you know, I never saw that movie. Kai, your grasp of feminist theory is overarching. <laughs> I don't know. I've got a tough cookie for you, Kai. <laughs> Those are great cookies. I'll take one. Oh, God. We do have <laughs> snacks here. Hold it, man. There go the mentors. You pawn the bullet. Some people haven't understood that he palmed it, see? So he didn't even have a bullet in the chamber. Whereas... By the way, that that was uh, my address growing up <laughs> that he just said. What was it? Stalker alert. Stalker yeah, alert. Stalker alert. <laughs> if you want to go see me, go there. <laughs> I'll send you three pizzas. <laughs> that is the Berlin game, I believe, four drive-in. Friends in the trunk, and we're gonna have some fun at the drive-in. Thank you for coming to the Lux 4 Drive-In Theater. And once again, fucking Capitol Records couldn't couldn't actually license the Beach Boys at the drive-in, so had to come up with a pale imitation. And Kyle, you recognize that, right? Uh, the birds? The, well, the, the, the beach. Uh, Ocean Beach, isn't it? No, Santa Maria. Tell us the, oh. um, about the movie within the movie. Oh, Guadalupe. 
This this was a Super 8 project. I only you, had so you about... Filmed, you filmed... You've been on two movies on that in Guadalupe Dunes. That's, that's correct. But so I only had about one-tenth of it thought out. Uh, whereas in Blood Orgy, I think I had as much as 40% thought out. Each project I got more into actually knowing, trying to know what I was going to do beforehand, as opposed to just counting on serendipity. Written into the Teen Rasputin script was... Uh, his head being shaved by the bad guys because at one point Andy just decided to shave his head. <laughs> but that's kind of you know, all a, all the better look with the Santa Claus outfit on his lean frame. Okay, so is Andy Pavis playing the same character and is that character an actor or is he just playing two he's different... He's an actor and this is a film that he's in. Okay. And so he's it's supposed to be, you know, a guy who's in these sappy teen movies, but this is apparently his you know, attempted at a breakout role where he's going to play something more meaty and, and that of course is kai you recognize that uh are you in lock that's right yeah give the boy a prize oh, yeah. right. <laughs> did he fall <laughs> yeah he just tripped so i just i just put in the, uh, the bulb sound effect <laughs> and who's hers oh uh, well it was it was mine but the uh I was never able to actually register it because it was unsmoggable, and that was before they had the Lemon Law. So I was stuck with the thing. So I had this idea of, like, hey, if I shoot a Super 8 movie, but I have something really cool, like a car blowing up, of course, Love is when you as anybody who actually tries to blow up a car will tell you. You see that flying saucer just, on his just, forehead? Just, just throwing something down into the gas tank doesn't actually make it blow up. It, it doesn't work like in the movies. And that's, that's the that's. Melissa Lawrence several years before. And I think I think that's me in the car at the drive-in, correct? Uh, yes. I really like you a lot. Which was down here because it's, it was Henry's car and it's parked <laughs> down here. So Once again, but best damn associate producer in the business. <laughs> you, have you had, have you, I mean, the, the movie would not have been made in, in so many different respects without Henry. I see a lot of props that uh, <laughs> are my stuff I still have. Mm -hmm. That's my favorite line in the movie. Perimeter zombies. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you gave me that shirt. Yep. How much do you get for on eBay? I don't know. I gave it away. What's, what's its starometer? Looks <laughs> <laughs> pretty good for Super 8. Yeah. Where, where'd you get that flamethrower? That's, that's especially a good one. Uh, Bobby Connor. Uh... Somebody at Survival Research Laboratories uh, made one for uh, Bobby Connor. They already had, you know, they already had them, and it was uh, yeah. Bobby Connor was on the set that day at the Redwood Shores. Not bad for a beginner. What? After subduing Lenny Rice and his girlfriend. And that was some more movie magic because there was actually no woman there. That's right. <laughs> Oh, that's good. With the sunbeams coming through the holes from the Rambo knife. Mm -hmm. And they're right, right outside of the complex. Yep. And there Fa it is, right face there. Facing the wrong way down the street. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the 1956 Rocket 88, as in the Jackie Princeton song. Allegedly the, f the first rock and roll song. I would say arguably more than allegedly, because it certainly has a good good claim to it. Mm -hmm. 
so they're putting me in the trunk and then apparently just taking me right out again since, <laughs> since they're already at the <laughs> well, you don't know, at the site of the. the you don't murder. know this is the site of the site of it because you know, it's supposed to be in the basement of that church, which is no longer there. Kai, uh, good plucking. All right, I'm, Kai's, I'm, Kai's I'm a really fan. a fan of this plucking. Kai's a fan of my guitar work. Yeah. If you could summarize this movie in one limerick. How would you do it, Kai? Oh, mackerel. Uh, we'll come. We'll come back to you in the end credits. There yeah, once yeah. was. Oh, that that was that was another uh, lady of uh, Sven's acquaintance. Although I guess girl, she was like seventeen then, right? I'm sorry, I didn't see who. Th- I didn't even see who that was. I was looking at Kai. Oh, <laughs> you, you don't remember? <laughs> no, no, I, I didn't see. Yeah. That one, (laughs) 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 whose head head just got blown off. Mike, you want to do a soundtrack to a documentary? Sure. (laughs) Coming up. (laughs) Yeah, Kai, why don't you you plug uh, your latest project? No, no. Kai, Kai has uh, approximately 12 documentaries uh, in progress, but this one he's going for the gold on this one. He's going to cross the, the finish line. Now the fun starts. Hey, even my hair changed. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, that's you? That's with, me in the with corner. Different hair. Yeah. That's why he was wearing the cap in the drive-in like Vanilla Ice. He always wears a cap in case his hair isn't perfect. Uh, the giant razor. <laughs> a, a, a giant razor blade that Henry purchased and so used that to get the uh, effect of a m- micro-zoom lens. Oh, that, oh, that's my cousin Elliot. Um, he, he, did, he slated something and there was, he did one one time and uh, for some reason there, I got some echo feedback on him and transferring and I just thought that sounded like kind of nice intro to a dream sequence and then here's some miscellaneous footage that was in the, the trim bin. What's she reading? Uh, she is reading Transparent Abelard by Antonin Artaud that uh, New Direction uh, not, excuse me, not New Direction, City Lights uh, what was their, what's their publishing house? Um, just called City Lights? But I, they, 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 they said no, no, no problem According to the back it. of this book, it's City Lights books. Okay, it is City Lights books then <laughs> Okay. Yeah, I talked to uh, Lawrence Ferlinghetti's uh, longtime assistant. Um, I actually sent a letter and he just sent her back saying that's fine. Discredit it. Is it in the credits? Uh, I believe so. If it's not, we might have to throw some more credits in. In the new edition. <laughs> the director's cut. That's right. After this, there'll be the Blu ray director's cut that'll like, have additional you know, credits. Lawrence, Lawrence, Lawrence Ferlinghetti is like 101 years old. He's going to get on your ass now. I <laughs> know. Wow, he's even older than Al Jaffe. <laughs> the new issue of Matt is an all Al Jaffe issue. I, I saw, I just received it. And speaking of City Lights books, I heard a documentary on the BBC about 10 years ago where they said they've never prosecuted anyone for shoplifting there. That's a helpful hint, you guys. Yeah, yeah right, let's go. <laughs> yeah, hang over there. Let's go steal some books. No! <laughs> no! Now, of course, this is, this is another movie trope, of course. 
if someone is castrated after adolescence, it does not change his voice. And that's another role for you, Mike. It yeah. sounds like uh, yeah, that's Mr. True. Bill. Mr. Bill. Good Mr. By, Bill. By, by, the, by the way, um, the what's, voice. What, what's really nice about this scene, though, is I used some chunky salsa for the blood stuff. <laughs> and and it, was, it was spicy enough that it actually uh, was causing him, him some discomfort. That's a one spicy meatball. <laughs> It's <laughs> uh, a too spicy two. meatball. Yeah. Sven, you seem surprisingly unaffected by this scene playing out in front of you. Um, you know what? What really sucked about this, and I did not know when it was being filmed, was when she's holding the drill shortly, she had dropped acid about 30 minutes an hour beforehand. And I, at the time, I said, Mike, I'll do this on one condition. I get to have a tattoo on my butt. What is so, a tattoo of? Uh, it's a, it's a, a big smurf? blurry mess, but Mike a, did have a Papa Smurf tattoo. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> In Germany, they call him Papa Schlumpfer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that where she's smiling, she's high as a fucking kite. <laughs> Nobody tells me these things. Yeah, well, I was yeah, I wasn't happy. Uh, you, although you I think she, happy. she <laughs> method acting. You still have a pierced ear? Well, I mean, it's still got a, a pierce in it. You could put something in there. I'm probably good. Also known as Crystal. <laughs> why? Why did, did you forget her name at one point? Is that? Uh, yeah, so somebody, somebody, somebody called somebody called her Crystal at some point. So <laughs> Movie, <laughs> if this movie was just ten minutes long, people would just be calling her Simone. <laughs> Another David Doty composition here. Mm -hmm. That's a gamma line, it's, isn't it's, it? It's yeah. It's uh, the same one, I believe. Oh, it's, it's that Recon Three River of Dreams. That's it. That's it. I mean, just wasn't certain about the number, but. I, I knew it was some kind of number in there. <laughs> so, uh, what I like about this, at least in concept, is the idea that as they're driving, you know, they're thinking backwards over the events, but it's not from anybody in particular's perspective. It's just these things happen. Maybe one person's thinking of it, maybe another one is. And False inspector. <laughs> Thank you, Kai. Well, I, you, what, wait till you see what I, I put the false inspector on the uh, ventriloquist doll for the uh, from the Poontang Wranglers. Hiroshi Hosokawa's Poontang Wranglers. Mm -hmm. uh, Kai, you're, we're coming near the end. Oh, yeah. You yeah. Got, you're, are you working on your limerick? Yeah. Uh. <laughs> there once was a. Uh, by the way, uh, Joanne says mm -hmm. a line in here that this was a beautiful and interesting experience. Oh, right. Which actually comes from Elvira Schwartz. Mm -hmm. She wrote the college entrance exam for a friend of mine, Sam. Or essay. Essay, yeah. Mm -hmm. College entrance essay. And uh, she was a foreign language teacher, but she could not speak or write English. Mm -hmm. And it was just completely full of mistakes, grammatical and otherwise. Did not get him in. Uh, he got he got he got the, he got into Irvine. They had much lower standards then. <laughs> like the same person. And now I'm... What beach is that? 
Is that a uh, Land's End or? Yes, Land's End. Capable of anything. Uh, so are they just burning me and Ben there, or in yeah. all? The, yeah. Okay. There's no no other bodies left around. As as well as all you know the baggage of the patriarchy. Okay. <laughs> so that's the big moral of the film that re, that redeems the whole thing. Or does it? Simoon. So you never so you never looked at the credits before. <laughs> I just forgot. Flavored. But yeah, yeah, actually Mike Hunchback, who was do interviewing me for a uh, you know, separate little major thing, he sa said, I think the story is really clear. It's about this event and it changed the it changes it uh, that takes that take place among these, you know, four different people. I'm like, well, Kind of now, and the interesting thing is, I I knew that Melissa Lawrence would deliver the line like that. I also recorded it on a different recorder to give it a different sound with a different microphone. But it's you know, Kai when she says that she's now so strong and capable of anything. Goddess. Do you do you believe her? I always want to believe that. That's a you know. Okay. I never want to break down someone's positive. Well, it's not a matter of you telling them. No, you're not. You're still the same Policeman person. Policeman David Noodleman. <laughs> Erhard Spogli? Spogli. Spogli. Oh, yeah. So as I was saying earlier, we used to go up to the... We, when he came to San Francisco, we'd go to the Erhard Seminar Training Headquarters and uh, use their stuff to run off a bunch of copies of our uh, our high school humor magazine propaganda. And... Uh, Raid their lunchroom, steal money from the uh, the honor box because it's you know the honor you, kill. It was Werner Erhard and Erhard seminar trainings, which is such a sleazy thing. I don't even want to go into. I he was a disciple of L. Ron Hubbard, who eclipsed him for a while. And was that the place where you know you'd buy a book and you'd take your change out of like the box there and you were like putting in a one and taking out a five and stuff right? Like it, that. No, but it was in the lunchroom, so they had like apples that were a dollar, and so some somebody came over and made a big deal. Like, oh, does anybody have change for a twenty? Kids, oh, well, get out there it. and make a movie. <laughs> yeah, do it. <laughs>